It's my joy this morning to introduce Reverend Kathleen Skeet Verna. She is really a dear friend, and I have looked forward to this morning. She is from a family, fourth generation of ordained ministers, and she and her husband Ronald co-founded Pure Spring Institute, which is a very strategic renewal mission for spiritual and cultural transformation that releases, builds upon first century Christianity and releases 21st century kingdom leadership. Reverend Verna is a, is a woman of God with a genuine prophetic anointing. And I just have asked that you be very free this morning here. And you give us whatever God's given you to share with us. And she also is a singer, a songwriter, and a recording artist. Reverend Verna and her husband, Ronald, share the pastoral leadership of Crosstown Church International, which is an apostolic congregation here in Boston. And she is very active in missionary development, traveling within the United States, Europe, South Africa, Zimbabwe, the Caribbean, and Canada. I first met Kathleen as a mother of a very gifted son, Keenan, who it was my joy to work with. And I know her God-given passion to nurture the family and future generations by her godly example and in the ways of the Lord. So let's welcome Reverend Kathleen Skate Verna to this pulpit and to Lion of Judah this morning. Hello, everyone. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be with you today in the house of the Lord. I didn't realize it was the last day of summer. Thank you, Pastor Sam. We have to all celebrate and live it up, right? Because it's pretty warm here for Boston. Well, I thank you for the invitation. I want to thank Pastor Roberto in his absence for uh, just graciously extending his pulpit uh, to me, and I want to just honor his wife uh, for also warmly greeting me, welcoming me, and allowing me to be here today. I've seen Pastor Sam regularly on the streets. We have similar tastes in restaurants, I think. We keep bumping into each other on the way to get food, but don't tell anybody about that. So we're just delighted. My, in my husband's absence, I just want to greet you as well and just say that it's a delight to be with what is for us a, a partnering ministry and a church that has been particularly gracious and instrumental in so many things that we are doing ministry-wise. And so I credit that to uh, pastors Miranda, their vision and their big heart and their kingdom-mindedness and their, you know, ability to recognize that the kingdom of God takes all of us. And so I am delighted to be here to, to bring you the word today. Uh, thank you, Charlotte, for that warm uh, introduction. I appreciate that. I, I, I you know, I didn't recall that it was way back at Parkside that we, we first connected and um, Keenan, our son, was 
a little, little boy then, but, um, and he's now since grown into a man. And uh, it's been some time, but we have connected with the Gillespies for a number of years now. So we bless them both and, and all that they are doing in the kingdom of God to further the work. So I have a couple people with me. Well, really, one, uh, Erica is with us from our congregation. Would you just wave? She and her husband serve at Crosstown Church. And I thank God for Patty Lee. She's been working with Pure Spring Institute a bit as well. So God is good. Amen? Amen. Shall we just open our hearts to the word of God today? And uh, I'll just open with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for this opportunity to be in the house of the Lord, to uh, speak your word, to lift your praises. And God, even as you uh, seek and desire to minister to your people, we ask that you will let your Holy Spirit speak through us and just uh, let the words go forth. Let there be no distractions. Let there be no oppositions or hindrances in any of our hearts, God. Let us be open to what the Spirit is saying. Let there be free course for the move of the Spirit in this house. Do your work, Lord, like never before. Break through in us, Lord Jesus. God, we want to move from your Spirit. We want to move from heaven, Lord. And so we are available. We're making ourselves available to you, and we're asking you in the time that that is allotted to us, that we will indeed be obedient to hear your word, to release your word, to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, I have a word for you, and I uh, want to just deliver that and, and not do too many preliminaries with it. But turn with me in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 9. And we will read a few verses there. Acts chapter 9. And it's a powerful passage that speaks about Saul's conversion to Paul and what occurs in that time. I want to begin reading from verse 1 where it says, Then Saul, I'm reading from the uh, New King James Version, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Hallelujah. 
I'll stop there. What, what a word, what a passage of scripture. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We know how well Saul was moving forward in his passion and zeal, ferociously arresting Christians and viciously breathing out threats and taunts against uh, the, the followers of the way. He was throwing them in jail. He was imprisoning them, commanding them to be stoned and beaten. Paul essentially was rejecting the truth of Jesus as Messiah. Jesus to Paul was an imposter. Jesus was not the real thing. Paul was consumed by his commitment and his passion to his teachings as a Jew of Jew, as a, a, fa a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was committed to that. We can't be too hard on Paul, even though he did some pretty horrific things. But even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, doubted who Jesus was for a moment. Remember when he said, are you the one or should we look for another? Even John the Baptist questioned the authority, the messianic authority of Christ, whether Christ was indeed who he said he was, whether Jesus was Lord. Even the forerunner of Jesus doubted for a moment. Sometimes we doubt for a moment. We live in a culture that causes our doubt to be often stimulated and stirred. And I know so many of us have walked with Christ for years or read the Bible for years or gone to church for years, but I think many of us can attest to the fact that we have had seasons where we experienced a crisis of faith, where there were moments of questioning and moments of doubt. And sometimes the very things that are supposed to anchor our lives according to God's purpose and God's will, the very foundations of faith can become the very things that blind us from seeing what God is doing and seeing the reality of who Jesus is. Sometimes our traditions can blind our eyes from seeing the truth. Traditions can blind us from seeing the truth. What causes us to think that the real thing is counterfeit when we have so much proof, so many things in our lives personally and in scripture? It's, you know, we can't rule out personal experience. Scripture is, 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 is really important and I don't want to diminish that. But when Christ makes himself real to us, we can't just dismiss that. We can't just brush that away. I remember growing up in the church and singing a song called Childlike Faith. It's that childlike faith that keeps me going strong. And I remember my testimony of, of being a child and knowing that God could provide something my mother taught us that, listen, as our father traveled in the States and I grew up in the Caribbean in, on the island of Trinidad. And we, for a while, pastored, my parents pastored a congregation 
for a number of years, and our congregation experienced revival and grew exponentially, and it was powerful. And then all of a sudden, there was an interruption when God spoke to my father and said, you need to begin to release this congregation and expand your vision. I'm going to take you globally. I'm going to take you beyond. And you have to begin to travel and minister to others. And it was challenging for my mother because that meant that we were not going to have a steady paycheck anymore to rely on. Somebody say amen. And that season of about four to five years where my father traveled as an itinerant minister in the, throughout the United States and Canada, uh, before he came to, brought us all to Boston um, to pastor another congregation. For that four to five years where he traveled, we had to experience what it meant to live by faith. It's nothing like living by faith when you don't have a paycheck that comes to you weekly. Oh, come on, somebody. Somebody knows what I'm talking about out there. That will test your faith and your trust in who God is and what God is able to do. But what I love about what my mom did in the midst of her own struggles, in the midst of her own difficulties, and having to manage a family of five children, young children, and a husband traveling, and her trying to, you know, meet her own personal needs, trying to pull all that together, juggle all that together. In the midst of that, my mother turned that into a teaching moment for her children, and she would gather us around and say, well, we don't have a paycheck this week, but we're going to pray that God provides something for us so that we can eat and we can have food in this house. And she would gather us around and we'd pray, and God is good. There's some prayers he answers, he answers in, uh, instantly, you know, because he knows what's at stake. He would always make a way and make it really, really public to our eyes to see what he was doing. He would provide uh, monies. He would send someone, touch someone's heart, who would say, oh, I don't know why, Sister Skeet, I was thinking about you this week, and the Lord told me to come and give you this. You know, people used to live like that once back in the old days. I don't know if we live like that anymore. Prompted by the Holy Spirit to give out of our own a need, generosity that the kingdom ethic demands, but it ratified our faith. It anchored us in a faith that when we as adults, when I as an adult later on would face moments of doubt, moments of shaking, moments where uh, the acid test of whether I was going to continue to believe in who God said he was, uh, when those moments came later on in my life, I had a personal experience and a testimony and a living witness that Jesus of this word was who he said he was. Hallelujah. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we question and we think that the real thing is counterfeit. Sometimes we see the real thing, but we, we can't believe that it could be so. It doesn't measure up to what we envision. We think that this real thing is not the one. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes our eyes can't see through the prism of the realm of revelation. We can't grasp it because we are too carnal-minded. We can't perceive it unless we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
The real thing sometimes comes to us in obscure ways, in, in broken ways, in simple ways. It doesn't always come pumped up and dressed up. So we are not able to recognize who the Messiah is, who Jesus is. Traditions can blind our minds to the truth, people. And I know that many of us say, well, I'm not a person locked into tradition. I'm not locked into this, that, and the other. I like freedom. Listen, we all can become creatures of tradition. It is not just mainline churches or high church or whatever, ritualistic congregations or whatever that are, are, are subject to tradition. We all can have places of tradition in our lives. Tradition isn't in and of itself bad. It essentially means something that's delivered to us, a teaching that is given to us, passed down to us by word of mouth, orally or in writing. It, it can be the body of precepts or, or principles that we ought to live and govern and guide our lives by. Traditions should not be ruled out just cavalier, just, you know, just flippantly. We must recognize that we all are the recipients of traditions. And we can honor traditions, but traditions must never govern the truth. Hallelujah. Traditions, our tradition must either work in concert with the truth or be subjected to the truth. Are you with me? Galatians 1.11 to 14 says it this way. Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say in verses 13 and 14, For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and Paul is honest, and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul understood what his blinders were. He understood the things that were blocking him from seeing and receiving the truth. When we separate the gospel from the traditions, then we can begin to understand what Christ is doing. We can allow for revelation to begin to penetrate into our hearts. But when our truth becomes overridden by our tradition, it becomes subject to our personal agendas, our personal preferences, our self-satisfaction, and it does not bring about the reign of God to a people. Oh, I wish I could shout louder at you. The Bible tells us it's been given to you to know these secrets, the mystery of the kingdom. But with our natural eyes, we cannot perceive the things of God. Because we keep on reducing the mystery to our own personal 
preferences, our own cultural preferences, our own personal desires. We all have cultural filters. We all have things that we do naturally that are ingrained in us. But we must recognize when we come to the kingdom, we lay all our traditions at the feet of Jesus. And we allow Christ to be formed in us and his spirit to become alive in us so that he could prompt us by the revelation of the Holy Spirit to move according to his will. We live in a very traditional region. New England is the holder, the seed bearer of traditions of the nation, the womb of the nation, keeper of history of the nation. And it is so... you know, so likely that here in New England that we tend to snuff out the life of the Holy Spirit in our religious worship. God wants to break through by his Holy Spirit, folks. To suppress the truth of the gospel, the message of Christ, the messianic rule of Christ is to suppress the truth of who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, it says in one version. And there we go into this metaphor of an ox. An ox only finds that the gold is driven deeper when the ox kicks against it. So what is a gold? A gold is a wooden tool approximately eight feet long, fitted with an iron spike or, or a point at one end. It was used to spur the oxen on as they pulled a plow or a cart. It often had an iron scraper at the non-pointed end to clear the earth, the clods of earth, as uh, the oxen is moving along uh, in the plowshare when it became weighed down. The gold was never meant to harm or injure the ox, but it was meant to produce a level of discomfort that would cause the ox to shift into alignment with the purpose that was at hand, to get back on track, to get back on course. The ox, the gold, was never meant to kill the ox. But what The Lord was speaking to Paul in this moment of encounter and this conversion experience. He was saying, hey, Saul, you don't understand that what you're doing with your, out of your traditions, the zeal of your tradition, the zeal for your pharisaical mission is consuming you. But in doing so, you're kicking against the very thing that could save your soul. You are going hard after things, but you're not going hard after things in the right direction. You've got power and zeal and might and and you've got passion. 
but you got the wrong cause. It's off. You're not aligned with the purpose and the will of God. You can't see anymore. How much so is that like us in many instances in our lives when we become passionate about things in our lives, whether it be our goals and our pursuits, or we're passionate about issues in our world, passionate about social causes, passionate even about places where we feel like people are personally inflicting harm or wrongdoing upon us. We often find ourselves, you know, we, we, get, we get riled up in our sense of rightness sometimes. We start to feel like, listen, this cause is bigger than anything, and I need to go hard after it. And we, the more we go hard, the more we justify ourselves in pursuing certain things. But we never stop long enough to recognize that we keep on injuring ourselves and harming ourselves, putting ourselves in a place uh, where more brokenness happens, more, and brokenness not in the uh, consecrated way, but more carnage happens in our lives. More of the breakdown begins to happen in our lives. Because we're not listening to God. God is knocking at the door of our hearts, speaking to us to turn, return, and to seek him. But our hearts are hardened in our pursuits and in our purpose. And we cannot recognize and see the way of the Lord. The psalmist writer says, send your light, lead me to your holy mountain. Let your truth Direct me to your holy hill. Because oftentimes our passion is real, but the cause and the agenda is wrong. And God wants us to go according to his way, but it takes repentance and conversion. And he is designing places and things in our lives that keep acting like the gold to gently and sometimes a little more than gently, to poke us. But we keep on kicking against it. Because sometimes what happens with the ox is when you, the more you go to an ox, the more it sort of kicks away sometimes. And when it kicks away, that thing causes even more harm and bleeding around the neck of the ox. And so God is speaking to us through Paul's life and, and testimony. Why is that gold so important for us? Ecclesiastes 12.11 tells us what a gold does symbolically. It says the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So in this verse, a comparison is being made between the Word of God and its doctrines and its effects upon the heart of man. And an ox goad that pricks and dries and directs us, saints and sinners alike, to God's purpose. The Word is critical. Words are critical and the Word of God is critical. The Bible says the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Listen, 
there is a difficulty to separate where, when your soul, when you're operating in your soul and when you're operating in your spirit. They're both invisible realms. But the word of God can penetrate to the depth of that place in our lives. And that's why it's only discernment of the spirit through the word of God that allows us to see the unseeable things in our hearts. The motives, the ways in which we move and act. That's why the, the church the, of the Lord Jesus Christ is a special and unique place because discernment happens here. I don't mean human discernment, natural discernment, spiritual discernment that you could see, you can see a Saul and know that Saul is not the anointed one, but you could recognize that a David who doesn't have very much going for them is God's appointed person for the job. That takes discernment only through the word, that's the spirit and the word. We need the word of God in this hour. And society has been deconstructing the word of God and telling us that the Bible is no longer authoritative and scriptures are just whatever you want it to be. But I pray that God is raising us up as a remnant in this hour, that we understand that the word of God must bear forth and hold and be the standard of the authority of God so that we live according to the word, whether or not it pleases my flesh. Let the word be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. If the word afflicts me, I embrace it because it is for my good. Amen? We have a church these days that is adopting the culture of the world. It's infiltrating into our hearts that resistance is the order of the day. That we need to fight against everything. That we need to rise up and demonstrate our power and our strength. One of our familiar sayings these days is, speak your truth. I keep on wondering what truth do I own and possess that's outside of the word of God and the truth? Resistance to order, resistance to authority, resistance ultimately to God's way and God's law. Resistance is our natural response to the ox goad. Our human response to the goading of the ox is to fight back to push it off, to shrug it off. That's what makes pastoring so wonderfully challenging. It's the beauty of resistance. I, I, I have to say it in the positive, right? That human resistance. You know, when I started out in the church as a uh, teenager, and they, they kept assigning me to usher. And I always tell people the best place to learn uh, leadership is to be an usher. They kept putting me to be an usher. I was like, okay, maybe. After this year, can I be done? I think I ushered well into my late 20s or maybe even early 30s. And that's not a bad thing, but I ushered and ushered and ushered. But then I found out that God was dealing with me in that process, preparing me for things that he had for me in the future. But he was also allowing me to recognize and see the hearts of people. 
That when you tell people to sit somewhere, well, I don't know if you tell people to sit somewhere in this church, but I know I've gone to churches and I've ushered in places where you literally tell people, this is where you're going to sit today. And if you want to see the ugly in people, tell them where to sit. <laughs> Come and stand as an usher. And you can do it with a smile on your face and look real sweet when you do it, but you will see it come out of people. Resistance is a natural human response to the goading of the ox. Hallelujah. Somebody Turn to somebody and say, I ain't mad at you. Make sure you say, I ain't mad at you. You're right. So when the ox was poked with a goad, its response was sometimes to kick out at it in resistance, but kicking back at the goad was an exercise and is an exercise in futility, not to mention painful. And so when Jesus used this analogy, he was reminding him that Saul, your continuous, continued resistance to the gospel is getting you nowhere. In fact, it will only result in danger to yourself. Think about that as God is calling you into ministry and calling you into things that he wants you to do and calling you to serve in places that you may not feel like you're called to serve, but he keeps on goading you. He keeps on prodding you along. Are you resisting? Because your resistance is an exercise in futility and will only result in danger to yourself. Thank you for that, amen. Saul eventually wisely submitted to the gold and yielded himself to Christ because he understood on the straight street, on that Damascus Road encounter, that listen, something powerful and supernatural is happening here. It's bigger than me, it's more powerful than me, it has more authority than me, and I know that I'm not gonna resist any longer. We have to move from resistance in our lives to surrender. Surrendering to God's purpose in our lives. In William Stringfellow's Politics of Spirituality, he speaks of a concept that he termed the daily resistance of death. And that is so like the church of the 21st century. We preach and teach, or may not think we are, but we preach and teach resisting our own death. We don't have sermons, that, too many of them, that encourage us to die anymore. That belonged to an earlier church era. We don't preach that anymore. We're telling people you're strong and powerful and bold and mighty and, and you know, you can do it. And, and that is true through Jesus Christ, but we cannot separate the fullness of the gospel message that calls us to die. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That that is still the first move and continuous move in our lives is to come to the cross, to lay by the cross, to lean on the cross, to surrender to the power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. John the Baptist understood it. He says, I must decrease it so that you will increase. That he is greater than me, this Messiah that's coming after me. I am not worthy to untie his shoes. 
And Paul understood this in his ministry, that I must lose to gain. He learned and spoke it in Philippians. He said, what things were gained to me, I count loss for Christ that I might know him. Hallelujah. We've got to adopt this, reclaim this understanding that we are called to die. We're always trying to save our lives and save ourselves. But the Lord wants us to let go of that resistance. We can't get to where we want to go in the things of the kingdom and God unless we accept and surrender to our own death. Hallelujah. The death many believers are trying to resist is their own death. And the death many congregations are trying to resist is their own death. Many congregations and churches spend most of their time pouring all their energies into surviving themselves. Oh, come on. Many of us know we're guilty of this. That the church so much has become stuck in a maintenance mode because it's so important to prove to everyone that we can survive. So programs and our agendas, they become more performance-based. They become more about a show. My God, help us, Jesus. Haven't we become weary and spent yet trying to fulfill our own agendas and plans and ministries, programs to keep our legacies alive? Let's let it go. <laughs> Let's stop resisting our own death. The church's preservation, our personal preservation, has caused our demise. Hallelujah. And God is speaking to us in this hour that it's time to release and relinquish control. Relinquish our need to prove to everybody who said you wouldn't make it. That you're doing something mighty and that you are successful. We use social media to promote ourselves and to, to show that our lives are glowing and flowery. When we know all along the truth is that it's shallow and empty. We're trying to protect and to save our own lives. There's one more instance in scripture and I'm getting ready. I know I shouldn't say I'm getting ready to close, but I really am getting ready to close. There's one more scripture that talks about it, and it's in Judges 3. It talks about Shamgar. Remember Shamgar? Shamgar was a little short passage about him, recorded in Judges 3.31 and Judges 5.8. He was one of those who judged Israel, and he killed 600 Philistines using only an ox goad for a weapon. Think about that. How did he do that? Remember in this time, it's the Iron Age and the Philistines are the primary owners and producers of iron. And the Israelites are their arch enemy. Shamgar uses an ox goad and he kills, slaughters, and wipes out 600 Philistines. We need to recognize that God has given the church a mighty power and a mighty force, mighty capacity, mighty ability that we can overthrow and dethrone the forces and the bastions of the enemy and 
and we can't override the strongest powers and forces that come against our lives, that are systemically ruling our cities and our towns and our neighborhoods, a demonic entrenchment that's all over New England that needs to be broken down by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have got that power. And God wants to entrust it to us with the simplicity of our faith, the ox goat. But it says, it tells us and teaches us that we ourselves must be first recipients. Before we can wield the power of God over others and dethrone Satan and his enemy, you can't do, you can't, you can't dissipate the enemy's power unless you have thrown the enemy in those places in your lives. And the only way you do it is through the discipline of the Holy Spirit and the Lord in your life. The work of God's sanctification. The work of God's authority upon your life. Bringing your life into obedience with his will and his word. Repentance uh, as a way of life. Uh, the metanoia, the change as a way of life. God wants us to be Shamgars in this hour. He wants us to be the souls that become Paul, that are converted and do mighty things for the kingdom of God. But we now have to be able to walk through the processes that will discipline our lives and bring our lives into submission and obedience and stop offering the Lord cheap offerings. We've got to turn resistance outward. See, because our commitment to surrendering to the Lord, to that consecrated lifestyle of following Jesus, allows us the greatest opportunity to call out the church that is stuck in dead traditions, to call out the world that has been caught in the tidal wave of deception. When we are able to turn resistance, our resistance of death, outward to begin resisting the deaths of those outside the church who need to be rescued from the jaws of darkness. Hallelujah. Then we begin to see God moving mightily through our lives. Hallelujah. The challenge today is to not kick against the goals. The struggles, the adversities, the afflictions that have come up against you, the opposition, the barriers, to recognize that God is working something in you in the midst of that. Hallelujah. Let me remind you of Paul's words in Acts 9-6 as we close. He said, it says, trembling and astonished, Paul responds to the Lord and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, uh, arise. The Lord says, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And he did tell him. In Acts 26, we see him telling Paul, get some more of his purpose. He gets more understanding what he's called to. See, if we wait long enough in the presence of the Lord, if we allow God's 
work to be completed in our lives, if we are surrendering to the will of the Lord, we get to hear the revelation of the Lord for our lives. And he said to him, I just have to read that to you. Acts 26 says, verse 16 through 18, rise and stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you've seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He said to Paul, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. He said, no tradition is going to bind you, Paul. You're going to live beyond tradition. You're going to be a kingdom-minded person. <laughs> and then he says, these are the people, the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Have you been kicking against the goats? God is calling out a new order. He is bringing us into new places in the spirit and new understanding of who he is. But we can't skip steps in getting to the new revelation of God. We must be willing and ready to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. This is our reasonable service. It's our spiritual worship. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto me. It is your reasonable, your spiritual worship unto me. I wonder if there's someone here today who says, I've been kicking against the goats. I've been kicking against... God's order, God's way. God has been calling me and speaking to me. Some of you, somebody here needs to turn to Jesus Christ. You have been searching for an answer. You've been looking for purpose. You've been trying to find your place in this world. And everything that you try, everything that you do, comes up short. In fact, sometimes it creates more pain and wreaks more havoc. God's speaking to you today. If you need to know Jesus, I want to extend this moment to you to get to know Jesus as Lord. I want to invite you just to just stand where you are. If someone's with you, just stand right there. And I just want to pray 
over you. You need Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus is here. Jesus is here today. Jesus is here in this place. Have your way, Lord. Jesus is here in this place. Jesus is here in this place. Have your way, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Is there someone who needs the Lord? I'm going to pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I see those standing. Hallelujah. Can I invite you one step further? If you would just join us at the front, if that's okay. Was that all right, Pastor Sam? Just come to the altar. And we just want to pray with you. Just nothing, nothing spooky, nothing out of this world, but just allowing God to speak and minister to your heart. Jesus is here today. Would you come forward? We'll pray with you. Those at the altar will lead you to the Lord, allow you to enter into this place where the Lord becomes the center of your life. Jesus is the center of your life. Hallelujah. Jesus is here today. Hallelujah. If you're here to receive Jesus as Lord and Jesus as your Savior. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I recognize I've been kicking against your will and I need you in my life. I see you as Lord and Savior today. Come into my heart, God. Come into my heart, Jesus. Wash me and cleanse me from sins. Make me new. God, I repent of my sins. I let go of my control of my own life. And I surrender to you. I surrender to your will, Jesus. Amen. If there are those who you know that the Lord, you believers, and you know that the Lord has been speaking to your heart about taking a step higher in him, going further in the things of God, but you have been resisting. There's been a hesitation. There's been a hesitation on your part. Amen. If that's you, I invite you to come forward. This is a time for a breakthrough. A breakthrough that comes only through surrender and yielding to what God has for you. God's way is the best way. One songwriter says the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. Hallelujah. Whatever God's will for your life is today, you're ready to say yes to it. Hallelujah. You're ready to say like Paul, I, I was obedient. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord today. Lift your hands to the Lord if you're here to surrender to his will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, oh 
Lord, we lift up your people who are here at this altar today, who've come because they're ready to say yes to your will, and they no longer want to hesitate, resist. They don't want to be stuck in their own ways. I pray that you minister to them today, their minds, their hearts, their souls, their whole being. We speak that the resistance will be removed. And there will be a yielding to your will. Give them grace to yield, Lord. Grace to, to yield to your will. Touch them today. Bring them into new places in the spirit. I pray for an open door. Hallelujah. Favor into your purpose. Hallelujah. That they will do the will of God. Hallelujah. Jesus is here today. Jesus is here today. Have your way, Lord. Move amongst your people. Move by your Holy Spirit. Have your way. God, we yield to you. Move us by your grace. Move us by Bless you, Lord, have your way, have your way, have your way. Thank you, Lord. God, we just declare over this congregation that, Lord, this will be a season where each and every one will move in a greater grace and anointing. God, that even the places that seem difficult and hard, God, you will make the darkness light. You will cause the yoke to be easy and the burden light. And so, God, we thank you for a new anointing and a grace upon this place. God, open doors of favor, Lord. Even the apostolic anointing that rests upon the senior leader here, God, will trickle down in a powerful measure, God, to each and every one so that there will be a surrendering to your will and a greater sending anointing into the purpose of God. Thank you for releasing dreams and visions. Thank you for releasing purpose. Thank you for releasing resources. Thank you for breaking through, breaking open. Thank you for remnant that's rising, a new order. Hallelujah. Those who did not seem like likely candidates because they yielded to you and said, yes, yes to your will, yes to your way. God, there's a breakthrough anointing, a breakthrough anointing, God. Break open the heavens. Rent the heavens and come down, God, in this place. Move by your spirit in this place. Move by your anointing in this place. Hallelujah. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.